Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Blog Talk Radio. The information discussed during the show is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any condition. If your pet is currently experiencing any medical issues, please seek immediate assistance from a licensed veterinarian. Good morning. This is Dr. Caroline O'Sullivan, and you are listening to Holistic Pet Care with Dr. O. I hope everyone's had a great week, and I am very excited about our guest today. And our topic is so, so important, and um, it's, we're, we're blessed that we have our guest here today. So I want to go over some housekeeping here. First of all, I want to thank Sylvia Global Media, Company, uh, Media Network for making this possible in the first place. Secondly, I'd like our listeners to give us a call, 347-215-6138. If you can't get through, go ahead and for our podcast listeners, email your questions to listeners at sylviaglobal.com. And now that I've actually gone to social media, we've got some other choices. You can like us on Facebook. I'm sorry, my throat is a little bit dry today. Um, at Holistic Pet Care with Dr. O. You can follow us on Twitter, Dr. O DVM, and get a hold of us any way you'd like about this show or any other questions. Now, today we are blessed to have Master Sergeant John Roscom joining us and speaking to us about his experiences with the Dogs of War. Now, the Dogs of War title may seem a little bit brash to some of our listeners, but it is just a truism that we have our canine friends that help us in so many modalities, both here and abroad. And um, my friend Roscoe, Master Sergeant John Roscoe, is going to tell us all about his personal experiences with these canines, both professionally trained and not, and the skill sets that they bring forward um, for our military folks. Um, I wanted to start by saying that I have got the utmost respect for um, our service men and women and our two-legged and four service, uh, excuse me, uh, um, I'm sorry, hold on a cough. <clears throat> our, our two and four-legged service members, and I know myself that I could never do the job that you do, and I appreciate it. So with that, John, would you like to introduce yourself to the world? Sure, hello world. As uh, Dr. O said, <laughs> thank you for the introduction. Uh, Tom Roscoe, I've been in the United States Air Force for a little over 18 years. Um, I'm an explosive ordnance disposal technician. I'm a master badge wearer. Uh, what that means in English is I'm the guy who goes out and diffuses bombs, puts on the bomb suit, works on IEDs, things of that nature. I am not a canine handler, which we'll discuss in depth here today, but I do have a vast uh, amount of experience with military working dogs, or MWDs as they're called. Um, I have several combat tours uh, working with uh, military working dogs and uh, alongside them and their handler, as well as uh, I can't even count the number of stateside missions uh, working for the Secret Service in conjunction with uh, military working dogs, and then stateside helping the canine handlers train their dogs in explosives uh, where better than oh, to get their yeah. explosives from than the EOD guys who work with explosives daily. So we'll provide them high explosive things of that nature, and we get into that a little bit, uh, to help the dogs learn and train how to and where to smell explosives. It's not just a uh, send the dog into the room and they find stuff. You actually have to, you know, just like training the sit, you have to train them how to find things. And some of that is uh, not necessarily for public information, but, I'll keep it uh, clean for the world topic. Uh, <laughs> some of my other experiences, I uh, worked with uh, uh, a 501C rescue group in Las Vegas for about three years. Uh, right. Don't know the exact number, but literally hundreds of dogs rescued, 
Uh, it's called Colossal Canine Care. We uh, primarily emphasize ourselves in a large breed, but of course, you know, as a rescue group, we wouldn't turn anybody away. It seemed at times we actually had more small dogs than we did big dogs. <laughs> but uh, it's true. Yes, true, true, true. It's true. There's not a whole lot of people that uh, actually go out of the way to rescue big dogs, but uh, since the, that particular group, all of us were, I'll say in quotations, like-minded with big dogs. Um, yeah. We kind of all just kind of got together and developed that. So, but yeah, uh, right. That's a little bit about me. Like I said, uh, not a canine handler. I'm a bomb technician. So uh, my experiences with uh, military working dogs are from a joint effort, not as the handler directing the dog. So, well, that that's so important, isn't it? Because it's not as though you're pigeonholed into one service or one tree or one not one skill set, but a, a job with a dog that you have this vast experience with different organizations, different, you know, um, um, I guess arms of the service and different skill sets these dogs have. Now, one of the things that you said that actually just sent chills right up my spine was the training of the explosive detective dogs, detection dogs. And um, I know for myself, I don't know if you remember Roscoe, my dog Hope, she was a Uh trained um, detection dog for corrections departments, and she would do things like cell phones, tattoo ink, narcotics, firearms, cigarettes, you know, anything that was contraband in her field, but her risk in going into her job every day was not explosive, literally speaking. It was minimal, minimal, minimal. So actually it just, um, wow, that just really sunk home with me there, Roscoe, that that's that's actually quite scary. Um, so many times I find that with what I do as a hyper-civilian, that people have a tendency to underestimate the skill set and the potential for their canine friends, and whether that's the ones that are sitting on our couches or for me right when it's sleeping at my feet, bored to death already this morning, or the dogs that do things like whether it's um, um, – doing showing or agility or those types of things, and we think that that's as far as they go, or we just don't push them, or we don't think inside, outside the box. The skill sets that you're, the dogs that you've been exposed to and had experience with, both trained and um, natural, I guess we could say, Right. Um, things that they just did in your uh, presence and while you were um, abroad, um, you go ahead and you pick how we're going to approach this because you have so much vital information that I know that people don't know except for mass media about a little bit, but they're or okay. they think it's all local because what it is that you've done and experienced and the skill set that these dogs have is um, beyond my scope. So um, decide where you're going to well, start, Rob, and just educate us. Sure, let's start with training a little bit. So. Uh, again, I'll, I'll reiterate, my experiences come from the user side of a canine, not as the handler side, but uh, as a user and doing this for the last 18 years, I'm, you know, again, very knowledgeable in the, in the fact that we work with them quite regularly. Um, it's, you know, it's a hand-in-hand relationship. So as far as training goes, you know, the, the handlers themselves are responsible for the training of the canines and their well-being and their upkeep and their health and all that. So you would go, everything that would go into having a normal family pet. Um, different services handle their dogs a little bit differently. They're all, you know, kind of come out of the same, I'll say, contract, if you will, or close to the same contract. There may be one or two bloodlines that are different, what have you, irrelevant. Um, but as Dr. O touched on earlier, uh, some dogs are, as you all know, more apt to a certain training technique or a certain training style. Um, where the government purchases their dogs from, they have a training facility, and the dogs uh-huh. get trained, and some just don't fit the bill, and some fit it better. You know, some dogs are better at being police dogs. Some dogs are better at being what I call single purpose, or ex- like I said, explosives only. Um, right. The Marine Corps handles uh, a lot of dogs that are single purpose, explosives only. Um, and, and that just goes into the dog's natural abilities, what they like to do, what they're going to do, how they're going to respond to a given stimuli from the handler or, 
you know, whatever whatever it happens to be. Um, you know, training is a big part of the dog's life. They get trained regularly just like any other military person is. In fact, a military working dog is considered military. Most of them carry rank. The ones that are police dogs, at least I can say for sure in the Air Force, they actually have a badge. Um, they're yes, a sergeant. Yes, yes, you know? yes. And, uh, you know, so one, you know, off topic here real quick, but abuse to one of those military working dogs is just as serious as it is to be abuse to another military member. So, oh, Roscoe, I'm so for, glad you brought that up because when did when did canines get rank in the military? Do you rem, do you recall? Because when I, when I know when just my my dog here stateside, she had her badge and she was a police officer. No no doubt whatsoever about that. She's a police officer, and hurting her, touching her, doing something to her was assault on a police officer, which carries felony yep. charges here. So it's, it's no, no messing around. There's no mistake that these guys are police officers. And for what you do, you're saying that these guys, thankfully, are their military-ranked personnel. Is that, and so yeah, they're military they, members. Very, very nice. Very, very nice. I yep. like that very much. As far as uh, when, when the military or whichever service branch adopted the military rank structure for the canines, I'm not exactly sure. We could probably Google it, but uh, <laughs> you know that I don't that I don't know off the top of my head. I just know that working with them, and you know, you see some of the dogs that come through, and uh, from some of my uh, combat experience, you know, that the dog is wearing a badge, it's wearing a rank, it's a sergeant, it's at least an NCO usually, and you know they've earned it if you. If you've actually been there and seen what these animals go through daily, you know, you can definitely say they've earned their place in that rank. It's not like, I hate to say it's not a real rank, but it doesn't take a spot, a rank spot away from any canine handlers. It's more uh-huh. or less a positional authority for that animal so that it gives uh, the handler, you know, reinforces the handler's respect for the animal. Um, yes, the UCMJ yes, yes. has a specific articles, in, in fact, involving abuse to animals. Article 134 is abusing a public animal. Uh, so if anybody does, you know, negatively abuse this animal, uh, one of the canines, you know, Article 134 of the UCMJ is a punishable offense. And then as a supervisor, uh-huh. you know, I could go through and give them uh, oh, uh, 92, which is failure to obey. Um, I could give them a 93, it's cruelty and maltreatment. Uh, if they did it right. in combat, I could give them a 99, which I believe is uh, misbehavior before the enemy. Um, yes. You know, it's just one of those things that helps individuals reinforce the fact that they need to respect the animals as much as they respect each other. Yes, so, yeah, yes. Yeah. Do you ever find uh, in your far, experience that that's an issue at all? Did you, uh, not in my experience, no, not in my experience. Normally, anybody that has a slight hindrance to abusing an animal is vetted out of the, I'll say, system prior to being allowed uh-huh. to be a handler. Um, any of the guys who are handlers are normally, they're, they're looked at pretty heavily by, uh, by leadership to ensure that they're the right people for the job. You know, um, you definitely don't want somebody in there that's going to abuse the animal or tease them and make them vicious and mean. You know, and every once in a right. while, dogs are dogs. We all know dogs are dogs. They're just like people. We have a bad day. And the, one of the main ways that dogs show they had a bad day is they growl or they bite or they snap, you know, right. tail up, right. happy, tail down, fear. You know, we all know that. So um, it just, you know, when you, in my opinion, when you train a dog to be a police dog, you also have to be on your guard that, you know, if you're poking or fun or you got to get to know that animal like you would know your own family so that yeah. you know that the look on their face is the, hey, I'm not ready to work yet, or, hey, I'm ready to go ahead and go. That's just my opinion. Um, a lot of the dogs will be muzzled, uh, especially for a public venue. Uh, for instance, I'll say again, with working uh, for the Secret Service, a lot of the dogs will be muzzled just so that – because people always want to come up and pet the doggy. Even though it says, yep. don't pet me, I'm a working dog, stay back, people always want to come up and pet the doggy. And the doggies aren't always people persons, you know what I mean? Yes. So – Sometimes they'll be muzzled uh, because it's humorous to see one of the other agents walk up to the doggy, wanting to pet the doggy, that's muzzled and thinks it's no big deal, but then he gets, and I'll say, nut-checked by the dog, (laughs) (laughs) which always turns into a humorous event for us because then the agent is embarrassed. I mean, it happens. 
But uh, there's only, you know, you know as well as I do, there's only so much you can do to keep a 50-pound dog at bay, much less uh, a 200-pound dog like my Corky. So <laughs> that, that's what I was thinking, Roscoe, because we we all we both have dogs, you know, two hundred pounds or more in our history, yeah. and having people, these are civilian dogs, having people walk up to two hundred pounds of teeth and going, you know, and oh, cute, 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 cute little dog, cute little dog, and you're like, you know what? Do you think I can actually control this dog? I mean, really? I mean, look at him, he's, you know, he's, he's a yeah. Well, but having a bad day, or he's this, or he's that, it doesn't make sense. But with the dogs that you're talking about, and with my limited experience with the police dogs, these canines, first of all, in my, like I said, my limited experience, these dogs with their handlers, they are partners. They have that. They are. They Correct. are a team, and that 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 holds in, uh, certain rights and privileges and those types of things Correct. and commitments to each other. And then, like you said. Having these dogs muzzled, you know, there's a certain group of people that think that, that oh, my gosh, help me, you know, my heart, help me, you know, this, that, and everything. And the thing is, if you know what you're doing and you're able to pant and you're able to function, able, it's just as much security for the person that's going to go, oh, cute doggy, cute doggy, cute doggy, than it, and, and it is for the dog as well, just in case they're having a bad day. Or their skill set demands that they are on watch, on call all the time. So having a stranger right. approach your handler or approach something, or if they smell weird or their posture is weird or any of the things that dogs know and we don't, they're going right. to be on duty, on service. They, their job never ends, just like the armed forces, just like the police officers, just like first responders, their job never ends. So, you know, a word right. to the wise and a word to every listener, ask first, don't approach them, have some respect for these guys, both two-legged and four, and, and ask. Ask nicely, and then if nothing else, walk away and just be honored that you were in their, you know, you, you were in their sphere, that you actually got a chance to see these guys because the stuff that our, our, that, that our military, both two- and four-legged, their skill sets are something that I don't think us civilians will ever understand. So don't, you know, doggy, doggy, doggy in the window is not what we got going on here. So... <laughs> Do not right, approach. you gotta remember they're they're not a uh, they're not a dog at that point. You know, to, uh, as far as I'm concerned and the handler's concerned, they're another they're a team member. They're a member of the yes. service. They're a team member. So you know, they'd be like coming up to me and trying to pet me. That's really not going to go over so well. You know. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I wish our listening audience had a visual of you because you yeah. are a formidable creature, my friend. And the idea of petting you. <laughs> Now, if you've got food in your hand, maybe I'll let you pet me. But uh, <laughs> nice That's good. I'm going to have that image with me for a long, long time. Thank you, Roscoe. Well, so you're back very to welcome. Our dogs. <laughs> so uh, when it comes to training, you know, some of the dogs have a tendency to be more single purpose. Like I said earlier, with the the Marine Corps has a lot of single purpose dogs. They'll use as explosives only dogs. Um, right. A lot of those end up being golden retrievers or labs and they okay. will not be police dogs. So the kind of the benefit to that is you can sit with them in a, I'll say, a combat or tactical vehicle. Um, you don't have to worry about them uh, biting you because they're, they're not trained as police dogs. They're trained to find a particular type of odor. Uh, like okay. you mentioned with, uh, with Daphne, uh, she's trained to find a particular odor scent or skill set of odors that, you know, cell phones or ink, uh, she wasn't trained as a police dog. Um, right, some of the dogs right. don't do well as explosives or scent dogs. They do better as police dogs. And then you've got your guys that I call dual purpose. They're very good at both being on command, on leash, off leash as a police dog, and they're very good at finding odors, whether it is drugs, paraphernalia, or certain kinds of dirt and vegetables coming through customs or whether it's huh? explosives as we, as I would utilize that kind of animal in a combat situation. So um, one of my uh, many deployments, you know, we're, for part of it, we were mounted, we were in tactical vehicles. Uh, as an Air Force EOD tech, we're a force enabler. So the Marine Corps, not everybody that's dismounted or mounted doing combat missions always has an EOD team with them but their job is to go out and 
clear a route. We'll call them a route clearance team. That's the name. Uh, let's say they come across a particular area that doesn't really give the team leader a good feeling. So they'll, okay. they'll have a couple of things they can do. They can send scouts out. They can send, you know, uh, uh, an element to go look around the area. They can send a vehicle. Uh, if they have the canine with them, the canine unit, one thing that they can do is they can send the, the dog up off-leash and see if he happens to, you know, react to any kind of odors in the area. Um, in Afghanistan, it was a very good tool to use. I don't remember this particular dog's name. Uh, it was a golden retriever, and it was a, you know, Marine Corps-handled animal, and uh, he was really good. He was really good at what he did, and, you know, he could, he could get a little dog time. He could scratch his ears. He was, it was okay to do that as long as he wasn't on the job. When we right, were back at right. the FOB or what we call the forward operating base or the COP, which is a combat outpost, uh, when we were back <laughs> there and out of the vehicles and the dog got some water and food and was, you know, relaxed, then, yeah, you could scratch his ears, you know, for me, get a little dog time in. Um, yeah. But when we were out on patrol, you know, dog's on mission, he's working, you know, you don't mess with him because now he's distracted, just like a child would be distracted, you know, the popular advertised um, saying is that dogs never get mature more than a two or three year old. So, you know, uh, some of us, some of our dogs, I'm sure, don't even make it that far. Some of them maybe a little bit further. But uh, <laughs> well, so so Roscoe, can you give us a visual on that? Because I, you know, I, I, I okay. Like I so said, here, imagine you're in a uh, sure. Imagine you're in a semi truck. Uh, it's all armored. Um, not necessarily a semi-truck, but a big, big-ass truck. And uh, uh-huh. you've got a bunch of guys with you and all their big-ass trucks. And you come across this uh, curve. Well, in that curve, you might say, oh, you know what? I can't see around it. Before I risk, you know, these multimillion-dollar vehicles and the life of my individuals to go around the corner, let's go ahead and send a patrol out and see if we can see if there's an IED buried in the road or improvised explosive device. Uh, which is kind of what we combated when we were in Afghanistan besides insurgents. So one of the tactics that we would use, we'd take the canine handler and the canine out, and he would send them up, and sometimes he was spot on, could find something right in the road that we couldn't even see. And then at that point, you're like, okay, now it's suspicious. At that point, I take over as the explosives ordinance disposal team, and, you know, we go in and defeat the IED. Um, the job, job of the dog is to find, you know, um, and they're fast. They, you know, dogs are fast. They can run up. They can sniff around. The canine handler can use a series of clicks and whistles or, uh, right. you know, sometimes they'll have a radio-controlled collar that um, he can speak to the dog and the dog will hear what he's saying and can direct them left or right. Oh, um, that's interesting. That's very interesting. So you can do so it they from remote, right. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, so when the, you hear radio controlled collar, I always think about shock collars. I'm like, well, you can't no, no, no. do that. But so you're no. talking about they can talk to each other. They can they can talk to each other. That's interesting. Well, I'm sorry to bother you. It's more one way conversation. If the dog talks back, it's usually just in a bark. you can direct the animal. <laughs> yeah, you can direct them oh. to uh, go down a road or down a uh, wadi, which is like a little river canal. Um, you can direct them to um, stand up to an uh, individual that's there so you can have them sit and stare down. Um, yes, you can have, you know, it, it's just one of those things, an extra tool in our toolbox to use. And if uh, the dog doesn't find anything, you know, it's one of those level of confidence of the dog. You look at the handler, and the handler knows his dog better than anybody, and he says, hey, he didn't smell anything or find anything, and then we continue on around the corner, yeah, or we'll send, at that point, we'll send a dismounted patrol up to uh, verify you know, it's always one of those trust but verify, and we'll continue <laughs> on about our mission. So, right. you know, that was uh, we we used him quite often. Uh, he was really good. The only uh, you know, bad part comes into when there's other dogs, wild Afghan dogs in the area, because they're they're wild. They kind of like picture them as like a gang member sometimes. Uh, when they pack up quite easily, like a pack of wolves or a pack of coyotes. Um, okay. So, you know, one military working dog doesn't really stand a chance, and neither do a whole lot of soldiers. Uh, you know, sometimes the only thing you can do to defend yourself against a pack of wild Afghan dogs was to use deadly force. 
Yeah, okay. They don't listen to stop, or even if you say stop and posh to, they don't listen to that. They keep coming because they've been abused by the locals and they're hungry. And yeah, they yeah. So they're, that, they're wild animals. Then you're, you're talking about right, wild they're, they're animals. They're wild animals at that point. Most, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I'll say most of the time when they've packed up, um, they can be. Now, there are the occasional uh, good Afghani dogs. Um, I had the experience of being uh, fully dismounted for uh, a portion of one of my deployments. And by fully and what, dismounted... Roscoe, what does that mean? Roscoe, what does that mean? Well, dismounted? Does fully that mean dismounted. Correct. Fully dismounted means okay. that I have no vehicle whatsoever in my inventory. I have boots on my feet and whatever I can carry on my back and my chest and my weapons and my team members. That's what fully dismounted means, like no vehicles whatsoever. So, Thank you. Uh, we also had a canine handler uh, temporarily uh, that was with us for a while um, on that particular mission while I was with the Bravo Company of the 82nd Airborne awesome group of dudes, you know, and uh, uh-huh. they had a canine handle with them on occasion, and sometimes we would go out. See, again, I'm the guy who responds to a, a bomb or a threat or a situation. I'm not really the go-out-and-finder. You know, the 82nd okay. Airborne, the patrols, those are the guys that go out and find. So they would take the yeah. canine out, and uh, most of the time canine leads the way, and they would find things, and then at that point, like, hey, EOD, we think we found something. Why don't you come on and check it out? We'll go check it out. And so most of the time, if the canine verified it, that, yep, yeah, you know, he he alerted to whatever alert, whether they lay down or sit or roll over or start telling right. jokes, you know, that was supposed to be funny. But uh, whatever the canine does to say, <laughs> hey, there's something here that I'm familiar with. This is what I've been trained to smell. And right. uh, we'll, we'll go up and sure enough, most of the time, almost every single time, uh, it was uh, it was accurate. There was something there, or more than one something, you know. And uh, and then when when he went away, we we had always had this dog in the area, and uh, we called him Bravo. He was a wild Afghan hound, and not like an Afghan hound like you would Google and see a nice, pretty, long, slinky Afghan hound. He was a dirty, bare bones pirate gang member Afghan dog. If you type in Afghan dog in Google, you know, and just look for a wild Afghan dog, it's just kind of use your imagination of a dirty, beefy, um, no frills, scars on his face. Uh, you know, this dog had been abused by the locals. Uh, we named him Bravo because we were at the Bravo company, and I, I say we as in the whole group. Now, the military right. doesn't condone adopting um, stray animals, so we didn't adopt the animal. We didn't let it into our compound. But it was there, and every time these guys left for a patrol, as long as the military working dog wasn't with them, Bravo right. would go on patrol with these guys every single time, like without a doubt. And we didn't feed them. You know, we don't know if one of the locals owned the dog, but we we're pretty positive he was wild, had no collar, nothing like that, because they don't really have collars on the dogs over there. And he wasn't ever pinned or chained up. Very agile, could climb 10-foot walls. Like crazy, wow. better than some of the soldiers wow. could, which was pretty awesome. Um, so Bravo <laughs> would go on patrols with us, and uh, you know, like I said, he was abused by the locals. I, we saw a couple of scars on him. I, you know, I'm kind of informally trained by Doctor O to look at animals. You know, I'd watch her work, so I le- learned a few things by watching her work on my dogs and other dogs. And you know, he had a few scars. That one or two appeared to be bullet wounds, and it wouldn't be from a, a U.S. weapon. It would be from a uh, one of the insurgents' weapons because of the size of the entry and exit wound. Um, one was in his leg, but it didn't seem to bother him. Uh, oh, another, he had a God. big scar on his chest, which I'm assuming was from, who, who knows, from being beaten or from razor wire or something. But uh, Bravo would go on patrol with us, and uh, oftentimes we would come up to a, a local national and, you know, a native-born Afghani or, or someone that was there in a man dress, and Bravo would sprint ahead of our group, pin him up against a tree or into a corner or against a wall, and by pin him up, I mean kind of sit there and stare at him in the eyes. And Bravo was a male. He was uh-huh. probably easily 80 pounds, so a big Afghani oh, wow. dog. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. easily yeah. 80 pounds and uh, no fat, you know, just all slender muscle. And, uh, you know, he'd, and by pin him up, I don't mean like, you know, Scooby-Doo style, hands on his shoulders. I mean, just sitting there a foot away, 
as the individual scooted backwards, Bravo would scoot forward, then we would pass, yeah. and Bravo would shift his body as we passed, shift so that it was him between us and the, you know, possible insurgent or uh, local national, and he would stare him down until he thought that we were well enough away, and then he'd catch back up. And he'd right. do his right. thing. Isn't that, ama- isn't that go, amazing? amazing? Yeah, you know, we didn't train him. He just kind of did it. So, you know, we didn't, we didn't uh, uh, I guess I'll say again, the military didn't condone his actions. We didn't take him on as a, as a pet or as right. a, uh, you know, adopt him or anything. He just kind of was always there outside right. the, the gates of our compound. And when we went on patrol, he was there. You know, and when yeah, it was and time I think for him the to thing disappear, is that his, the just... behavior that you described with him, Roscoe, is much like the you know um, the police dogs when when you um, hold a suspect or those types of things, and you sit there and it's a non-contact posture, but there's no doubt whatsoever that you are not going to move. You're going to stay there while I'm sitting here right in front of you, and if you move, I'm going to follow you, or you know you're not getting away, and. I don't know how many of our listeners have ever gotten a stare down by a dog or a dog that actually means business and actually makes, you know, that does that wonderful when they kind of just lock their eyes on you and don't blink. And there's no doubt yeah. whatsoever that this canine means business and is not going anywhere until it chooses to leave. So that skill set, that, that drive, the, you know, the drives and traits of dogs, which many people don't um, have a great appreciation for, that makes them so wonderful at these different um, jobs or skills or inherent drives, you know, you're describing Bravo doing the things that we find so wonderful with, um, you know, civilian police forces, having, having these dogs, you know, we think that they're trained to do it, but knowing that they have to have some sort of internal drive, something inside of them that, that makes them want to do it or know that it's right or know that I'm right. protecting these people against this person and, you know, I guess our listeners can be like, well, how the hell would they know? But therein lies the question for a lot of canine behaviors yeah. that are so wonderful. It's like, wow. just it, it, That's what it does. It just makes you stop and go, did you see that? That was amazing. You know, so well, um, I know it's not One more quick fun, story about Bravo. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, one more ahead, quick story no, about I, Bravo. We were, on an, we were on another patrol and um, as I mentioned about the wild Afghan dogs, sometimes the only way to protect ourselves against the wild Afghan dogs was the use of deadly force. Uh, right. You know, we happened to be traversing through this particular, I'll call it an area, and uh, there was a dog chained up, and the dog broke the chain and started coming after our patrol. Well, you know, immediately the nearest soldier raises his weapon, and Bravo, we didn't know he was with us. He was sneaking around doing his thing. Um, we, we, you know, we'd seen him, and then, like I said, he disappeared when he wanted to come back around. Uh, one right. of the dogs broke, and this is a big dog. This is probably a 120-pound dog easily. Uh, it was very tall, probably at least uh, three feet at the shoulders. I mean, it was the size wow. of a mastiff. It was a very wow. large, wow. white, fluffy, brown-spotted, white, fluffy, big, big-ass dog. Well, one of the soldiers raised his weapon, and I saw out of the corner of my eye, I saw a flash of brown and black streak between our formation, because we were looking over there at this, and it was probably, let's call it 50 yards away when it broke leash. Because we, you know, we tried to respect the landowner. We stayed off of his property, and we stayed out of the land. Well, the dog broke the small chain or whatever he was on, and Bravo came sprinting to our formation. And this is no crap. Bravo went out there, met the dog at full speed. They did like this spin thing. Bravo grabbed him by the throat, and the dog was dead in like 10 seconds. No, no, he, sir. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. Good, I mean, good news, bad news, right? I mean, that, that's very, that kind of brings up mixed emotions for me, but holy smokes. Somebody comes out of nowhere and just, just killed this just, dog that was coming after you just guys? Just protected us. Came yeah. out of nowhere and just protected us. He was... We, we knew he was with our formation. We were on our way to an IED site because I was with uh, the company. And, you know, we were traversing some of the terrain. Like I said, we were staying off of this landowner because we knew that this dog was there. And, yeah. you know, later, of course, the, the captain went up and apologized to the landowner. Did You know, because the dog, everybody knew at this point that this dog was with the U.S. They, didn't, they knew that it wasn't a U.S. dog, obviously, but the locals right. that we – KLE or key leader engagement with 
they knew that we had a dog that followed us around. They didn't know where the dog came from, and you know, so they knew about the dog. But the landowner understood. He knew that it was uh, it was going to be us or the dog, anyways. And it just so happened that Bravo took care of business. It was uh, it's actually kind of crazy. We still talk about it. Some of the guys out to play with we. We talk every now and then. It'll it'll come up like, "Hey man, how your dog's doing?" And hey man, you remember that time that Bravo got that Afghani hound? And we're just like, "Yeah, man, that's that's still crazy." I still talk about it. Still, you know, unless you're there and picture him going past you at 30 miles an hour and meeting this dog that was about twice his size head on. They yeah. like I said they scuffled for a minute, not even a minute. They scuffled for a second, and within 10 seconds, Bravo had him by the throat probably because he was able to get underneath him because he was a little taller. Yeah. Get underneath him, right. had him by the throat, and the dog was on the ground down. Two of the soldiers went up to check it out, and sure enough, that dog was gone. Bravo had Holy. a little bit of blood on him. He had a scratch on his back, um, and that was about it. That was about Holy it. He, uh, yeah, yeah, that was about that's... halfway through, and then, of course, that story spread, and you know, then the veterinarian wants to come out and put all the dogs down in the area, and you're like, oh, okay, well, he's not here anymore. We're like, you know what, this dog is an asset to us. We're not just letting him go. You know, we're not condoning or adopting him, but we're not letting him go, you know? Yeah, yeah, he, I mean, he, 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 he protected you guys. You know, I mean, he, he, did, he did a military service without being asked, without being trained, he would just, he just, he, he, he helped to protect you guys. How, how do you let him go? You know, how, how would you let yeah. something like that, something bad happen to this dog that wanted to protect you guys? I mean, I, there's yep. no way. Again, we didn't my, feed him. We didn't take him in. We have no idea where he learned to do anything. He was just a wild gang member pirate dog that, you know, <laughs> We didn't abuse him, so he loved us, I guess. I, there's really no explanation for it. We have no idea, you know. So um, I would probably call him a good uh, single-purpose dog. He was there to protect and serve, and, you know, he he probably is up in doggy heaven at this point. But, uh, you know, is, uh, he was a great dog. Yeah. It would have been awesome if somebody could have got him as a pet. But, um, you know, that's that probably wasn't going to happen for that particular animal. Um, right. You know, not all the Afghan hounds that uh, wild are bad. A lot of them uh, are good. Uh, I helped with a few of the the, the guys. Uh, again, military doesn't condone adopting an animal, but ones that did, maybe got their commander to approve that. Yes, they were able to keep an animal around because that that is a possibility. Um, there are right. veterinarians in the in the area. Maybe the animal got it shot so that the commander was allowed to keep it around. Uh, allow the individual to keep it around. And there's a few times you know, I helped the individuals figure out what it was they needed to do. There was three guys, two soldiers and a Marine, figure out what it was they had to do as far as getting the shots and proper paperwork to bring that puppy back home stateside that they rescued from certain death. Uh, there was, I was with the Marine Corps with, uh, again, with that first dog that I talked about, the single-purpose, explosives-only dog. Um, right. There was a group of puppies, well, all the puppies uh, perished except for one puppy, um, and we think it was the mother that killed them, and they named the puppy Bullet because the mother was, <laughs> you know, we had to take over this compound. Uh, the mother had to bite the bullet because she was uh, attacking several of the Marines um, when oh. they entered the compound. And then the, the one puppy that was left over, you know, they named the puppy Bullet, um, and uh, it was a good puppy. I actually have video of this little puppy, uh, and uh, he was a cute little dude. I made him a little uh, collar. Just got I me. Mean, we're in the compound. The dog's in the compound. What are you going to do, right? He's already there. Yeah, he's a cute little yeah. puppy in the middle of some uncool stuff. I know. Right. I, I know what I it's would be doing. It's a puppy. You know. <laughs> I know what I would. It's do, not yeah. like we adopted it. I made a collar for it out of some 550 card I had laying around, just so that you know <laughs> we could keep it away from you know, so we could keep it away from our dog. And uh, one of the guys, one of the brains, you know, went back to that area that made a cop out of a combat outpost and of course the dog hung around and it helped him with the paperwork and the stuff to get bullets back stateside and I think uh, I don't even want to say that I, I think I know where he's I want to say well he's either east coast or west coast I don't remember where he went back to but that dog bullet made it back to the states which was pretty cool right on. and then uh, two right of the soldiers on. Right on. yeah two of the soldiers that had uh, officially adopted you know through permission from their commander 
had uh, brought back two dogs. So I already had the, you know, because there's certain things you got to do. You got to get the vet check. You got to get all the permission stuff. You have to, you know, work with uh, uh, the government in order to get the dogs back across the border, stuff like that. You know, you have to pay the fees and the fines and all the crap. So, you know, it costs a little bit of money to bring a wild dog, one of those wild dogs, back to the States. But, you know, the last I heard from any of those guys, it, it, you know, it turned out to be a really good experience, even though it cost them upwards of twenty five hundred to three thousand dollars a piece for each dog to bring back. So, but you, you know, know what, Ross? I gotta like, be honest with you. It's not like it's not it's like we haven't spent that kind of money on our dogs anyway. So, and then that, what, what a wonderful story that is, right? I mean, what a wonderful story. Yeah. You get the, you know, the small fluffy into your area, and it, it, you know, I can't speak for you guys at all, but it must have brought some smiles and some joys and some fun, and this oh, yeah. that must have sucked and. And then you get, you know, somebody cares enough to figure out a way to get this puppy safe, hopefully forever, and stateside, and jumps through the hoops and kind of just stands up and makes it happen. That's I, how awesome is that? You know, so, you know, saving that little dude's that's life. That's pretty cool. That's, that's really cool. That it's just, you know, man, what a great story that is. But you know, also, the, this, the soldiers uh, in the Marine were very appreciative of the help I was uh, able to offer them, which I'll say I learned through my work with Colossal and my, my work with you, Dr. O, you know, figuring out what to do. And then, you know, of course they have to fly. So, you know, I had a couple of people I knew uh, mail out some flying uh, the flying kennels, airline kennels. Yes, 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 yes. Yep. Great. So yep. I had a friend or two back in Las Vegas mail me out a flying kennel that I gave to the guys so that they could have it and fly the pooch back stateside. So, you know. <laughs> You, you you pulled out all the stuff in all the country oh, yeah. and got all the equipment for for little small fluffy bullet, which is you know that's just standard deliver. That that's such a great wonderful story. Now, uh, with regard to your service dogs, um, your military dogs, you know your M wait, wait, your MWDs, military working dogs. You know I'm not very good with acronym and acronym, so I apologize for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's okay. You 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 had a lot of experience, like you said uh, in the beginning of the show about the Secret Service canines and training the dogs to send out uh, explosives, I'm guessing, and that you right. had a hand in uh, training the humans, the Secret Service humans, with regard to the materials and those types of things. Now, the Secret Service handlers of these canines um, were akin to the Marines and such that had the canines that were detection dogs, and then at that point, these dogs would probably passive alert, and then EOD goes in and defeats these ordnance, whether they're here, local or abroad. Is that pretty much the way it works? You know, um, you in, in a nutshell, it, it depends on the particular mission. Uh, working with the Secret Service, it's a different mission than working uh, on a military installation. Um, as a bomb technician working with the, with the Secret Service, my mission is a little bit different. Um, I'm not there as an IED defeat person. I'm there as a finder. That was like about the only person or the only time that we go out and find things. Because uh, who better to find things than the guys that know what the bomb members are thinking to the best of our ability and where they would be hiding things of that nature. The dog is, uh, you know, is just another tool in the tool bag that uh, we utilize to help us search, if you will. Um, right, right. You know, as far as the training goes, you know, they, they're allowed small amounts of explosives, the, the canine handlers. So when it comes to larger amounts, you know, we'll help them with the larger amounts of explosives so the dogs don't get sensory overload. And I'll say a bit of a funny, you know, you smell, a, right. you, you know, somebody farts in a room, 10 seconds <laughs> later, you don't smell the fart anymore because you have sensory overload. But if somebody new walked in the room, they're like, hey, who farted? Same thing with explosives and dogs. <laughs> you know, once they get that's sensory all, overload, they don't quite smell it visual. anymore. Thank you, Roscoe. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't. <laughs> they get sensory overload. They don't smell the explosives anymore. So we'll help them uh, with larger quantities. Uh, with the training, we'll help the handlers hide things to where they might not think that uh, it'd be a good place to hide things. Um, just because, again, we're the explosives defeat experts, and they're more of the handlers, you know, it's, right. it's a team effort, you know, we're all yeah. a team effort, so, you know, it, you know, if I can do something to help my tools sharpen up, then of course that's what I'm going to do, and for me, the canine itself as a tool 
in my toolbox to help me verify or, you know, pinpoint that there is something there, call it a hazardous situation, and we'll go down and take care of business. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's, I can't imagine what kind of understatement that just was. A hazardous situation, you're going to take care of it. You know, <laughs> the, risk, the, risk, the, the risk and the skill set that you have and, you know, and, um, and that what it is that you do for the safety of this country and every single person around you, I can't, I, it, it can't, I can't give it enough respect. If Rocco, well, if you, you had a couple minutes, yes, you're very, very welcome. Thank you. If you had a couple minutes to tell our listeners about the importance of canines in the military, just as a broad strokes, and because okay. I, I know from personal experience that people. Um, in general, especially folks like myself or hyper civilians, we read stories or we hear in the media or we have some wonderful books, Trident Canine Warrior and those types of things about the Navy SEAL dogs, and we see the um, the extraordinary things, you know, the, the kind of wow things. But with regard to having having the ability to have a canine with you or with your unit or, you know, having a hammer there, what would you tell our listening audience is the importance of the ramifications of having canine skills when you are on duty or when you're deployed and those types of things? Okay, well, Dr. O, like I mentioned earlier, there for me, in my intentions, a, uh, a canine unit or the dog itself is more of a force enabler. You know, like I said, I trust but verify. So if the canine alerts to something uh particular area of the ground while I'm in Afghanistan or in another combat environment or while stateside if it alerts to a couch or a plant, you know, trust that he or she found something that they're, they, you know, they've detected. And then, of course, you know, my job is to go in and verify that either there's a device there or there might just be something that's throwing the dog off, Um, Okay. you know, take out the human factor. But as far as the importance, you know, it's it, it depends on how they're utilized just like any other tool. What's the importance of a, a tire on your car? Well, we can get away without tires. We can make it all out of wood, but how how would it work? How much better would that vehicle function, you know, if your tool isn't sharpened? And that's the big thing. It comes back all back to training. You know, you've got to have the canine handler and the canine unit trained, working uh, synchronously, working together, Mm -hmm. (laughs) working together to uh, on the task at hand, you know, and the public isn't really going to see the dog so much working, um, although they may be there. And and part of the reason for that is just like I said earlier, they're, they're children, you know, do children get distracted in malls? Hell yes. Do dogs get distracted when there's a lot of people around? Hell yes. Yes. So in order to keep the dog on task and the handler on task, and then not to mention, too, you know, if the enemy or the insurgents or the bad guys, we'll call them, happen to be watching, we don't want them watching our tactics. So most right. of the time, right, whenever right, right, I do right, something right, right. Yeah, or whenever they... Never, I would never think right, it whenever, would happen. Do you, know, do you know what the time course is on training these dogs? I mean, are we talking... Uh, to be honest with you, I no, and it's not quite that far. A lot of the times the dogs that the services uh, get, uh, I believe, are under a year old. Um, they uh-huh. could be a year and a half, but I'm not really sure how long it takes a dog to go from what's called green or a newbie to being yep. uh, ready for ready for uh, action to deployment to a location. Um, that, again, we could Google. I could have asked one of my buddies. I hadn't thought about, uh, hadn't thought about that question at all. I know it's not that long. I will say I know it's several months, but it's not a year. It's not that long. Um, and, and, I, and I imagine that these guys are constantly aspects. being tuned. Yeah, they're constantly being tuned up. You know, constantly being refreshed. Constantly being, right. you know, a new experience. And just like anybody else that is training for anything, whether it's athletic right. or your brain or whatever, you got to keep things tuned up. Keep things fresh. Don't get bored. Don't get burnt out. Don't get overstimulated. Don't you know those types of things? There's so much that goes along with the canine philosophy with the drives and the trains and such, but um, what you're saying is that, you know, you come in, you know, maybe purpose-bred dogs, um, they wash out of, um, you, you know, or they pass with flying colors when um, the people are doing training decide if they're up for the task, and then they go into training, right. and then they go out go out to service with their handlers. Now, 
these dogs, with your experience, they stay with one handler just like a police officer would stay with one partner for the most, you know, for... No, no, uh, and this is a, my own personal uh, thing. I mean, I, I believe that they should. Uh, however, the U.S. government doesn't have the same, you know, theory. Most of the time uh, when a when a base acquires a group of canines, they stay at that base. So if the individual handler moves to another location, they get a new dog when they get there, and dog A stays with base A. Handler B goes on to base B, and they, you know, they hug it out, lick on the face, and that's the last time they see each other. Um, and there, there's different theories behind that. So, you know, uh, the canines themselves, like I said, in the, the AOR, the area responsibility, they deploy as much as the handlers do. So if, uh, if I've got a handler and he's working with this particular dog, they deploy for a rotation. The dog will come back for six months yeah. and maybe deploy again, but he'll deploy with a different handler. So the theory that, like, let's oh. say the Air Force, because I mean the Air Force has, is that they want the dog to be more versatile with more different people. Again, my own personal thing is I wish that they would say, okay, well, this is you and your dog, and you and your dog are going to work with each other till the, you know, till either one of you gets out of the service or the dog is no longer uh, serviceable as a military member. Um, but they don't do it that way. I don't know a lot, all the branches, but in the Air Force, the base that acquires the animal, it stays at that location for out it, throughout its career. Um, Isn't that interesting? It's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's you know, again, it's, it's because the government wants a more versatile animal, so that animal can deploy more. It can deploy within another six months or a year, and maybe the handler won't deploy because, you know, things always come up. So let's just say, you know, and it makes good sense the way to do it. So if the animal and the handler deploy, come back, and all of a sudden now the handler, let's say it's a female, is pregnant, and it's time for the dog to deploy again, well, obviously that female isn't going to deploy. So now, in order to still have a canine that's deployable, you know, you have to have a different handler. Or, right, right, or right. Or male, I, I guess, say that I guess the male what... breaks his leg or has some sort of medical condition or whatever, and he can't deploy, right. but we still need the dog to be in theater doing this canine thing. We need another right. handler to go. So it, right. it's a right, versatility right. thing. Yeah, and the thing is that that's the word, right? I mean, I mean, you got to you know, the versatility of all members is important. And then, just like you know, my experience with you is that one day you're doing one thing, and the next day you're doing another thing, and then you got the word yep. you're not doing that thing, and then you got to be ready to deliver. And then you get orders that you're moving, or orders that you're doing this, you're going here, going there, and the unpredictability of and your need to be able to adapt is important. I'm guessing, right. and that that's the same same with same with the canine. I'm guessing is that. They, he, he or she's got a job to do, and as long as they can do it well with a good handler, that they need to go. You know, it's time to go to work. Right. And they usually you know, like, they usually do really well. They usually keep them pretty versatile, um, even though there may be one primary handler at a location. Uh, I believe, speaking with my buddies, that they, they normally get out and work the dogs, as in all of them, so that they maintain that, okay, so now this guy's working with me today, or, okay, this girl's working with me today. So they... They see the different people, and if they're accustomed to working with different uh, individuals at different times, that they're themselves not locked into one person. Um, well, yeah, yeah. But so, the thing is, it, it, it's surprising when you first said it, because I'm so used to, you know, one dog, one person, lifetime commitment, I retire, you retire, those types of things. But I guess that that's a very comfortable civilian way of looking at things, where the jobs that I do every single day pale in comparison to the jobs that you do every day. So I, I'm, I'm humbled. Thank you. I'm <laughs> honestly humbled. But it makes sense, right, because every, everybody right. that's in the military has a job to do 24-7, and that when the call comes in, you just adapt and overcome. Is that is that those the right words? Um, so I, right. I – no, I, I have a – yeah, that, that, was, that was a difficult, difficult one for me to swallow because – my dogs are the, the you know the fluffy lay on the couch dogs, not the go to work and right. try to come home safe. And also, dogs. so also keep in mind that your dogs are your dogs. These dogs are military members. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. So Very good point. The, Very good point. Right. So then the handler also doesn't get the thing that's oh hey this is my dog. 
Like, no, that's a sergeant in the Air Force. You know, he's <laughs> yeah. a military number. <laughs> that's like somebody coming up and trying to pet you, right? It's like, right, no, yeah, somebody trying no, to pet me. Don't do that. I'm, I'm probably, do yeah. That. <laughs> Just don't do that. Yeah, I, you know, here's my rank, here are my stripes. Don't do that. You silly, silly civilian. I love it. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So but I've um, had uh, nothing but positive experiences with the uh, military working dogs. Um, you know, of course, I've had dogs my whole life, so I know that if one of the MWDs is looking at me and he's not liking what he sees, you know, I'm going to walk away, which is pretty rare for me because, uh, as you know, most dogs that I've ever approached, even your, you know, less than optimally uh, adoptable ones that we've rescued, they've yeah. all at yeah. least let me pet them and touch them and come up to them, even though they wouldn't let anybody else, which, you know, me and you always thought was rather odd, but who knows, maybe I was a dog in a previous life. Uh, maybe you were a that. big dog. Maybe you were a big dog in a previous life. Yeah, a big dog. Probably. I'm thinking, yeah, saber tooth dog. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, uh, okay. you know, uh, I've always had positive experiences with them, and you know, they've always been really good uh, at what they do, and the handlers themselves have always been really good at what they do. And uh, you know, I've got nothing negative to say about any of the the working dogs, either Secret Service or military that we that I've worked with. Uh, they've all been very good at what they do, and, uh, you know, I, I hold a, a lot of respect for those guys because it, it's a lot easier to work with a, a partner who you can speak to and say, hey, I need you to go do this. But when you have to point and snap or, you know, give basic commands to somebody and you're, you're hoping and expecting them to sniff over there or do whatever, you know, it's a lot harder to do, you know, as well as well you know when you're training a dog or working with a dog they don't really respond in the same way humans do. So it's, you know, you have to be multilingual when you're working with dogs. It's, it's a bit of a challenge sometimes, you know, and then they can't so, always so just say, hey, I hurt my foot, you know. Right, you right, right. Well, you're, you're pretty well taken off, so. though, in that, that you, know, you have to have two, two, you know, I can ask you to do something, I can tell you to do something, and then my canine partner, we have to have a different kind of language. But I want to make right. sure that everyone who's listening today knows that, this isn't the same as me being ticked off at my dog because it didn't go outside to go potty. These are life and death decisions, life and death actions, life and death detection, life and death force enabler duties that these animals are doing to save the lives of not only themselves, but of their, you know, their human soldiers in situations that us civilians, honestly, I can't even imagine that we can understand the intensity of these situations. So, the information that Roscoe's brought us today comes from a place that I can only speak for myself, that I'll never, I'll never be there. And the amount of service, the amount of commitment, the amount of information, the amount of stress, the amount of danger that you guys, two-legged and four, are in as a living, as a calling, is something, like I said, I, I can't give you enough, enough humbling respect for what you do and the information that you brought to us and the listening audience today. And... Um, I, I, I want to thank you so much, Roscoe, and not only as, not only as a master sergeant and a skill set that blows my mind, but as a friend and as a dog lover, I, I, just, I, I love you, man. You're just the best. Um, I love you too, Doctor. Well, I, I wish uh, we were closer together and we could <laughs> hang out more often. I know, I know. We, the days, just wait till, I get, wait till I get my next Harley and I'll just come knock on your door. Now, for our listening <laughs> <Yep>. audience, <laughs> it'll happen. Um, this live broadcast will be rebroadcast a couple times this week. I'd really like everyone to spread the word to all of their friends, their family, their coworker, everybody they know to come to Blog Talk Radio backslash Sylvia Global and click on this archived edition and listen to it over and over and over again. It's so it, this is so important. The work that our military is doing both two-legged and four, and the amount of skill set that they have. So, once again, thank you, Roscoe. You're the best. You honestly are the best. I, I, oh, I'm you're very welcome. I appreciate the, a, appreciate being on your show. If any of your listeners have any questions that they email you, feel free yeah. to forward them to me, and I'll reply back with the best answer I can right away. Oh, yeah, that's such a great idea. All right. So get a hold of us, Facebook, um, the, uh, Holistic Tech Care with Dr. O. Um, Twitter us a question on Dr. ODVM, and thank you very much for listening, and thank you very much for Sylvia Global Media Network for making this happen. Roscoe, you have an awesome day, and I'll talk to you soon, okay? You too, Dr. I'll talk to you later.
Bye. Thank you very much. And thank you for everyone that's listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.